I'm excited about our series, 10, 10, 80. We're talking about financial freedom. I remember when I was a teenager, I, I read a book by A.T. Pearson, I think it was. It was called George Mueller of Bristol. And it was about this guy that lived in the mid-1800s. And he really wanted to live full out for God. He saw all the street kids at that time there were no orphanages at all around. And so all these little kids, little urchins, you know, lived on the street. Like when we lived in Mexico City as missionaries a few years back, uh, we would see those little ones. And they're running around. I mean, there's 100,000 street kids in Mexico City. They just live on the street. They have no family. They just try to make ends meet. Of course, they're terribly treated and abused. And this is what George Mueller saw in, in London of his day. And, and so he decided, I'm going to start an orphanage. He didn't have any resources, but he got an orphanage going and it get, get up to 2,000 kids in that orphanage. And um, they would do things like he prayed and God did these crazy miracles. One time he set them all down. He imagined 2,000 kids across all these tables. They had no food in the pantry. They had nothing. And he said, thank you, God, for what you're about to provide for us. And as they sit there praying that, knock on the door and this people come in that had come from a long distance away, didn't know anything about their need or what was going on, but knew about the orphanage and they brought all this food in. And, and it just happened like that over and over and over. Well, I was reading about his life again uh, this week and at, at one point as he began to be known, people started supporting him personally. They said, I wanna support you, George Mueller. And, and at one point, they were giving him um, 3,100 pounds a year in support. Now, back in the middle of the 1800s, that was a ton of money. But what was so interesting about that, he would live on, and his family live on, uh, on 25 pounds. And the 35, um, the 3,100, uh, he would give away all of the rest of it. That would be like if you were, you know, making... Uh, $25,000, that would be the 25 pounds, and the 3,100 would be 310,000. They're supporting him with $310,000, and he's living on 25,000 and giving all of the rest of it away. At one point in his life, for about 30 years, he supported just by himself 20 missionaries in China fully. And he was doing all of these things. He was living on like 8% of his salary. And I, I began, you know, just to pray, even as a teenager, I was like, God, I want to see miracles like that. And it's almost like God was telling me, well, do you have faith like that? You know, we're talking about that. I believe that somebody in this room this morning is going to live a life like that and see miracles like that. And you're just going to be, I mean, it's going to be amazing the change that you make. As I watch these little kids. You know, it's easy to judge a parent for selling their kid into sexual slavery, but a lot of these kids come from Nepal and other places, and their parents are giving them up to that so they can feed the other ones. And I'm not saying that's still wrong, but it's up to us as the church to make it. They're actually giving those kids over to us to raise and to send back out into the world to make a difference right where they are. And I'm so proud of you for that. We're talking about 10, 10, 80. It's a, it's a financial plan. It's a way to live that makes a difference, that makes a, an impact. Remember what the review, we'll look at it. Last week we said the first 
10 belongs to God. Do you remember that? Pull out your sermon notes and we'll just look at that. In fact, what did I say last week? If you want to master money, money can't be your master. I don't know about you, maybe a lot of us, we wrestle with that radical exclusivity that Jesus put into this when he said, hey, you can only serve one or the other. You serve God or you can serve money. He didn't say you should serve God. He said you can only serve God or serve money. And, you know, in America today, I think a lot of times we go like, well, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sold out. I'm like 80% God, right? 20% money. He goes, uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. That's not how it works because he knows our hearts and he draws a line in the sand. I want you just to imagine, to kind of sum up last week, you and I are talking and I say, you know, I just long for you to give that first 10% to God and to his kingdom because he's got all these promises we talked about last week. He's going to open up the windows of heaven over you. He's going to pour out blessings on you. And, and, and I just, I long for you to do that. You're, make a difference around the globe. And you go, ah, yeah, I know, Mark, but I, yeah, I just don't know. And then I say, well, what if you started with, with, with 5%? Because it's not legalistic. We don't want to be legalistic about all this, you know? I mean, I have some people that'll come and say, well, well, you know, the tithe, that's not a New Testament concept. That's an Old Testament. Well, the New Testament concept was they brought everything. It said they took their houses and their lands and they sold it and they brought all that money and laid it at the apostles' feet so that everybody was taken care of. Nobody had too much and nobody had too little. So if you want to do that, New Testament-wise, that's amazing. And then everybody goes, I like the tithe, you know? It's like... 10%, that sounds amazing. Um, but if, if I just said, just start with five. God's not legalistic. You say, God, if you will enable me, I'll start with five. And, and, and I don't know. Well, how much do you make? I make $1,000 a week. Five is $50. If you'll take the $50 at the beginning of every week when you get paid and you'll give that first to God, if it doesn't make ends meet at the end, I say something like in this made up conversation, I'll take care of the rest. I'll make sure that it works out. I'll, I'll give whatever's lacking. And just imagine in this conversation, you go, well, if you're gonna do that, I, I could do it. But I want you to stop for a minute and think about that imaginary conversation that could be real. You're putting your trust in me, just a mere human with you know, limited resources instead of your omnipotent father. He's the one that asks you to do it. And he's saying, I'm going to show you. Just prove me. Test me in this. He actually said in the verses, right? And, and I, I'm thinking, that's all he's, he's just saying. I just want to show you. How much do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust my heart? And I think it's so interesting. I trust you, God, for my eternal salvation. But I'm not so sure about that, right? And, and, and we look at that. And, and I just think that, that, that God's going I want your heart. Write this down. The easiest way to determine if money is your master is whether or not you tithe or that you're at least attempting to. Tithe just means 10% in the Bible. The first 10% goes to God. But let's talk today about the rest, all right? Another reason that we don't give generously to, to all kinds of things around us is we're so often, I, it's been true in my life, sloppy, impulsive managers of the Lord's resources. We get caught up in this like American consumerism, right? 
It's so easily thinking that we got to have the next latest thing, that more junk that we're going to collect in our house, right? So, so we spend money we don't have on stuff we don't need and we're in debt. If we're in debt, you're not ready to share. Write this down. What you do with money or desire to do with it can make or break your happiness forever. Jesus knew this. He talked more about money than heaven and hell combined because he knew this. So let's look at 10, 10, 80, the second 10. Are you ready for it? Pay yourself. That sounds pretty good, right? Pay yourself. The second 10 is pay yourself. Why? Because in life, some bad random things are going to happen. I mean, your dishwasher is going to break. Your, your car is going to break. Things are going to go wrong. The dental bill is going to roll in, right? You know, and, and, and you got to prepare. And that's, a lot of us are under this incredible amount of stress. Last week, when we talked about the first 10 and what we do with that in the 10, 10, 80, this week, I want to talk to you about the second 10. It's possible some of you, as I'm talking about this, you're already feeling frustrated and overwhelmed, but don't tune out because I'm going to give you some really practical ways to make this happen. And I'm just telling you, there's been a lot of prayer going as God's going to be behind you. I want you to have financial peace. It doesn't work overnight. It, it, it takes, it, it takes time and it takes a plan and it takes discipline. But I want you to just right now think about this. You need to decide today in your life, do you want to keep living the way you're living or do you want financial peace? Because it's possible. Some of you are thinking, I don't even know if it's possible, but we all have these good intentions when it comes to saving money and it, we tell ourselves, you know, I'm going to start saving when I reach a certain age and, you know, all of a sudden now you're 60 and you're still telling yourself that, right? And some of us were going like, you know, or, or when my circumstances work out, you know, when when little Jimmy finally moves out of the basement, but little Jimmy's 36 years old. He's not moving out, you know? So, so we've got to figure out how we're going to do that. We're only going to start saving money when we develop healthy money habits. And I know it sounds overwhelming, but just listen to what the Bible says. And let's talk about a few tweaks that you can make that get you on the track to saving money. There's an amazing passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 5 and following. And Paul says this, To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Paul's writing to Timothy a word of warning about some slick deceivers that are there in Ephesus that figured out that Christianity is growing in popularity and they could cash in on it. You know anybody like that? He knows, God knows there's people like that. It's like, oh, Christianity, it's growing in popular. Let's see how we can cash in. Let's see how we can make some money off of this. This is kind of a, an American thing, right? But you see it all the way back in Ephesus. Now, Paul goes on. He could have said to Timothy, don't follow them because Christians don't live for gain. Don't, don't follow them because Christians do what is right for its own sake. Christians aren't motivated, motivated by gain but that's not what he said because he knows us God knows us and we are motivated motivated by gain he says this but godliness 
with contentment is great gain. Instead of saying, Christian, don't, don't live for gain. He said, Christians ought to live for greater gain than those slick money lovers could ever even imagine. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What is great wealth? Is it having a lot of money in the bank, a huge 401k? You know, is it never having to work again in your life? Paul says great wealth is godliness with contentment. And he says, here's why. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And we know that's true, but we don't like to think about that much. I mean, you came into this world naked, squealing, right? Well, you're gonna leave with the same amount of stuff that you brought in. You never see a hearse with a U-Haul, right? You never, you never see that. I heard about one guy who was determined to take it with him. So he gave his lawyer and his pastor each $100,000 in cash. And he said, I want you to put that in my casket when I die. And, and he passed away. And, and you know, the, after the funeral, the lawyer and the pastor were talking. The lawyer said, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done to put $100,000 in his casket. And the pastor said, I didn't think it was that difficult. I just wrote him a check. <laughs> Smart guy, right? But it's all temporary. So just celebrate it. But remember to keep it in perspective. He goes on. He says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And then he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. What kind of happiness is that? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Notice he doesn't say that money is the root. He says the love of money. Money is neutral. It can be destructive. It can be beneficial. But it's the inappropriate love of money that all these evils come from. It's because our desire for happiness is so weak that we settle for the fleeting pleasures that money can provide and never get the deep soul satisfaction that we truly long for. He goes on, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul is saying, don't you want real life? Don't you want true prosperity? Then don't focus on Money, let God be your master and not money. No matter which way the market is moving, God is better than gold. I love it when the Bible speaks to us from thousands of years ago, so practical, so relevant to our life. Paul is giving some deep teaching here to think about godliness and contentment and how it works together and relates to our stuff. Write this down. He's saying basically, wealth will not make you content, but contentment can make you wealthy. Wealth cannot make you content. Just look around. Just look at Hollywood. Just look at people with money. So many out there in the world, if they're not believers, they're not content. 
They're struggling, going through relationship after relationship, looking to find something that matters, something that lasts. I, I, I've been all around the world to some of the poorest areas in the world. I've, I've been in palaces and I've been next to little homes made out of milk carton outside of Cancun. Cancun, outside of Cancun is one of the, the poorest areas in, in this whole hemisphere. The new move-ins, they'll make houses out of milk carton because the, you know, the wax on the outside of the milk carton kind of keeps the rain out a little bit. But you know where I've seen some of the most content people in some of those places? The Batwa, when we first met them over in Burundi, they were making $100 a year a person. That was their total income. They would work on this pot. These ladies would build this beautiful pot and fire it and walk two hours into town. Took them three days to make it. They would sell it for a quarter. A quarter. And walk two hours back. And as we began to work with them, when we first got there, they danced. And they loved on us. And they told me, we dance to forget how hungry we are. But now that you've been impacting them over these last years, they have their basic necessities and even a little bit beyond. But they are the most content people. They still have nothing like what you have or I have. And it's just amazing to see them and how content they are with food and clothing. My son and his wife were over there just recently and they still don't get the whole airplane thing because they gave my son a live chicken to take home <laughs> and they gave his wife a live rabbit. <laughs> and I never did hear what happened to those, but you know, it, it's amazing. Here's the thing about America, we've got so much to learn. 58%, write this down, of Americans did not have $1,000 in savings. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if that's you, but it's 58% of us. So, so I know it's a lot of us. One in three of us have zero in savings. Okay? So the first principle that we just talked about, write it down so you'll remember it. Remember, godliness with contentment is great wealth. But the second one, make a plan and then work the plan. We have to make a plan. If we just say, I really wanna do better, I really wanna do better, I really wanna do better, but there's no plan, it's not gonna work. I saw a study this week on the Jewish people down through the centuries, a rabbi did it, and why they continue to be disproportionately wealthy compared to the population around them in whatever country they live in. And he says it's because they learn to tithe and give back to God. It's built into their culture. And so it loosens their hold on money and they're more willing to let go of things to invest, to, to see the, their money go to work and the other 90% of it. And, and he said, you just see it, it comes back. It comes back in fruit in their lives. So we have to get on a plan. If you make $35,000 a year and you're struggling, don't kid yourself and think, if I could just make $55,000 a year, I'd be fine. No, you would do the same thing. You would build that up. You've done that each time. That's what we do as human beings. We have to make a plan. So I, rem I realized early in my life that I didn't have an income problem. I had a spending problem, right? And it wasn't like I was doing anything extravagant. 
But man, it just would disappear little by little by little by little till, you know, there's nothing at the end of the month. Write this down. Hope without a plan is just hype. It's just so interesting to me how we humans think. Uh, I read a statistic recently that says you're more likely to roll out of bed, hit your head, and die in the middle of the night than to win the lottery. And yet, 25% of Americans say, my only chance at retirement is to win the lottery. You have like a one in 302 million chance to win the mega millions. And yet, when we say that to each other, we always go, well, you never know, right? <laughs> well, you kind of do know, you know? That's just human nature, right? Listen to what the Bible says. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. The wisest man who ever lived said that in Proverbs. The majority of us in this room, if we're going to amass any kind of wealth, it's going to happen little by little, accumulate over time. Statistically, no one in this room is going to win the mega millions if you do tithe on it, okay? But <laughs> little by little over time. Several books have come out lately about millionaires. Did you know that 80% of millionaires in America started with nothing? 80%. We always say, well, they probably came from wealth. No, 80% came from nothing. That's what they did. And that's really what 101080 is all about, to learn how to do this little by little by little. The average millionaire became a millionaire when they're 62. Lots of hard work over the years. I'm not talking about a budget here because I don't like the word budget because it just seems restrictive. Some of you, oh, budget, you know. I'm calling it a spending plan and I want you to spend, baby, right? Spend, but the way that God says to do it. I'm gonna determine where it goes before we get there. I'm gonna spend some of it on God, some of it on faith, then my family and the future. It's a spending plan. Let me just give you a few things that Dave Ramsey, who's helped millions of people get out of debt, says. He says the very first thing you should do, some baby steps if you're overwhelmed. The first thing that you try to do besides giving that whatever, 2%, 5%, whatever you can to God so it's not just you doing it, right? Stash $1,000 in an emergency fund. You say, well, right, sure, right. How do I do that? First, I would pray. I would be asking God, God, help me to do this. You know, God, provide something. But also, just begin to pay the minimum on all of your cards and everything else until you get that $1,000. Because what Dave Ramsey knows is that something unexpected is going to come up and it's going to mess your plan up. So he says the very first best thing you can do is get $1,000 so that you can do the rest of this, okay? And the rest of it is this. Number two, and this is amazing. How many of you have heard of the debt snowball? Raise your hands up. Okay, few of us. This is the most powerful tool I, I've ever seen for getting out of debt. Use the power of the debt snowball. What you do is you take all your credit cards and order them from the smallest amount that you owe to the biggest amount amount that you owe and you begin to pay on the smallest first now some of you are math majors and you're going like well shouldn't you pay on the one with the biggest interest no math did not get you into this problem math's not going to get you out of it right <laughs> you got to build some momentum you got to feel it so start with the one with the smallest and pay the minimum on everything else 
and pay that one off. And then you might want to cut it up, right? Or you might do like one friend that I had, he froze it in ice blocks, you know, so that he would have to at least wait till it thawed out to buy whatever it was he wanted. There's different things like that that you can do, but that's what the debt snowball is. You see how it begins to snowball. You pay off that, then you go to the next one, and then you go to the next one, and then you go to the next one. How many of you in here have paid off all your debt using the debt snowball? All right. See, there's some of us. It's, it's powerful. You saw someone raise their hand. You just go ask them. I mean, they'll, they'll just gush about it. Just keep on going. And then he says, after you've done that. So that's, don't even think about anything else till you've done that, right? Then you save three to six months expenses. Statistics say if you live long enough, you'll lose your job. I hate to tell you that. But that is what statistics would say. And maybe more than once. Three to six months of expenses provides that cushion for you. Okay? And then what you do next, Dave Ramsey said, after you've done that, is you invest for the future. But don't even start talking about that until you've done these other things. Getting out of debt. It seems impossible for some of you. But God, I mean, God is a loving Father, he loves you. He cares for you. He's going to be in this with you. Small things can add up. I didn't write all these down because I didn't have room. But I want you to, here's a few things that can work for you. Are you ready? If they mean something to you, write it down. If not, don't worry about it. But groceries, for example. When I go to the grocery store with a list that Laura sends me and I have three things, I come home with 33 things. And some of you guys, you can't even relate to that. But see, that's why I don't like marriage conferences sometimes, you know. That's why I love ours because we don't do it this way. We take each person kind of individually, but they'll always say, well, here's what the woman's like and here's what the man's like. And I look at Laura and go, I'm the woman. <laughs> and she says, that's all right, I'm the man. And, and, and it's true. I mean, I, here's, let me tell you what to do with groceries. If you're really trying to find ways to save money, Grocery pickup. Have you heard of that? It's amazing. You cannot get extra stuff with grocery pickup unless you pick up somebody else's groceries out there. All right? Don't go out and pick through theirs. Yours is out there. Another thing you can do, cancel automatic subscriptions and memberships. If you're paying for multiple subscriptions, Netflix, Hulu, Prime, gym memberships, Trendy, prescription, you know, all of these things. And, and be sure to turn off auto renew if you do get on something like get off of them for a while and make see what you can do without you might be stunned and that's one reason why I want you to get to know people here at Community of Faith if you do get back on you might want to share your Netflix no I didn't say that okay <laughs> Costco that's another one you ever hear think you a preacher would say Costco maybe Costco because I'm the same way at Costco I mean I've still got peanut butter they come in these giant things it was so cool looking, you know? Don't, if you're me, don't go to Costco, but maybe for you, buying in bulk might help. Cut cable. You know what you can get with an HD antenna in Houston? You get so many channels, you can't believe it, right? Amazon, one-click ordering is not your friend. Alexa is not your friend, all right? And, and Siri, most of the time, right? So realize that. I, not long ago, like just a few weeks ago, a little tiny white baby grand piano arrived at our door. 
And I was like, Laura, why did you order a, I mean, it was like a baby, for a baby, you know, for a little kid, like four or five years old. And, and I'm going like, what in the world? And so we couldn't figure out where it came from, but it was right there on our Amazon when we looked back. And then Sarah, I called her in Denver and she goes, ah, that's what Zoe meant when she said I ordered a little something on Amazon. <laughs> I just thought she was kidding. I thought she didn't turn off one click, right? Okay. Because it's amazing what you can get on Amazon. Ask God for unexpected income and apply it to the debt. Pack your lunch. We spend like $3,500, the average family, $3,500 on, on eating out or food for lunch. You can save some of that. You've done the Marie Kondo thing. Have you seen that? Sell everything that doesn't bring you joy. That's the big phase right now where you just, you pick it up, right? Whatever you've got, you go through all the stuff in your closet, you pick it up. Does this bring me joy? If not, sell it. I picked up the cat yesterday. He's gone. You know, it's like, no joy there. Um, I don't know what I can sell him for. But. And then save automatically. Did you know that you can save money without even thinking about it? If you go, we, we bank at Wells Fargo. I went in there the other day and I'm looking, it's like, how much would you like to transfer from savings to checking or checking, no, the other way, checking to savings every month. And it's just, you can set it up automatically. It's crazy. And I put zero, but. <laughs> By the way, you can tie the same way. Uh, you, you can do, I think on the back of your worship folder it says something about that, but um, it, 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 you can set up automatic recurring giving. That takes care of both the first 10 and 10 and 80. And then one last thing I just want to give you. Make it a challenge. Make it a game almost. Have a no-spend month. I read a book last year that was this lady who spent nothing for a whole year. She, she had a no-spend year. I'm not recommending that, but have a no spend month. Now I'm not saying don't pay your rent or electricity bill. Some of you are going like, Ooh, that sounds really good. You know, do that. No, you got to take care of the four walls, right? You know, and, and that's food, clothing, shelter, utilities, maybe throw transportation in there, but fill in this blank this month. We aren't going to spend any money on blank. Maybe it's entertainment, restaurants, anything you want. Now, don't look at your wife and say, this money, I'm spending nothing on you. You know, like, <laughs> then you're back to the marriage counseling thing. But, but here's the thing. It's like, let, I know we've kind of had a little bit of fun with this, but let me tell you something. You have a heavenly father. Go back to that very first story. If I said I was going to make it up for you at the end, you'd go, well, okay. You look pretty trustworthy. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. Little son, little daughter. Do you see how much your father loves you? He's just waiting to open the windows of heaven. He's just waiting. But he limited himself. He said it's gonna be something that we do together. I'm trying to teach you. I want you to learn to trust my heart. You think he's gonna let you down? He's not going to let you down. He's just not. Father, we want to learn to trust your heart. I believe truly 
that in this room there's someone, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl that's going to be a, like George Mueller and going to do things that the rest of us just look at and go, that is amazing. But that's because he trusted your heart. He knew that you were in it for those kids, for him. Please, God, for all of us, teach us how to trust you. We love you, Father. And we, your little children, are going to step into this. We'll just take some little baby steps. But you get behind us and you begin to move. And when we fall on our face in our finances, you, I know you. You pick us up. You dust us off and you say, come on, you can do it. And we start with those little baby steps. And before we know it, miracles have happened. Do it. In Jesus' name, amen.